her late. I don't know if you're from Ireland or born somewhere else, but oftentimes you'll hear Irish people say, keep her late, keep her late, keep her late. Keep her late is the Irish vernacular for keep the faith, like keep going, like don't give up, like just, just, just keep on keeping on. And I was thinking about how last week in the message that I called The Pursuit of Jesus, how I shared with you about the, the origin of our church name, that we're not called Lighthouse because, you know, we just couldn't think of something better or because we're, we're, our, our locations are in coastal towns because in case you noticed, outside our family in the dock, the rest of us are inland. Uh, the reason why God gave us the name Lighthouse is because names in general are important. Like think about when you name a dog or a cat or a pet, you, you, you put effort into that naming, hopefully. Uh, if you name your children, it used to be back in the day that, that the meaning of a name was more important than the popularity of a name. Unfortunately, nowadays, I think popularity is more important than meaning. So we're hearing all these really creative, interesting names from children. I won't comment on them Comment on them because I can already hear my wife's voice in the back of my head saying, stop right there. But you know what I'm saying. There used to be a day when the meaning of a name, the, the meaning of a name was more important. So it was like the name represented something. It carried weight. The point is whether we're naming a dog, a motorbike, a car, or a baby, names matter which is so interesting because most of you have come to this beautiful island called Ireland, and when you see some of the names we've given our places, it's one of the most confusing things in the world. For example, I'm going to put a list of names of places in Ireland, and we're going to try collectively to pronounce these together. And before you get smug, Irish person, I have a second list that's going to challenge even the Irish knowledge in the room. Can anyone pronounce this first place in Ireland? Come on, the dock and Avon. Uchterad, okay, that's, that's not that hard, Uchterad, you know, it's like Ochterad, Uchterad, okay, number two, how do you pronounce this one? Inishtig, that's right, yeah, not Inishtog, Inishtig, here, this one's kind of easy, come on, but, but uh, for some reason, the G catches everyone out, like, I'm going to Drogida, it's like, you're going to Wadida, I'm going to Drogida, now, what's funny is these guys proclaim themselves to be the number one town in Loud, but we know, come on, the dog family, that the dog is the number one town in County Loud. Anyway, Drogheda. Here's a good one. I love being in Dublin city centre and coming across Americans in particular that go, do you know we're done Loud? And I go, what? And they go, Dunlachira. And if I'm honest, I already know what they're trying to say, but I keep it going just because it's so funny. One more time, Dunlachira. It's Dunleary. You're thinking that makes no sense exactly. You're in Ireland. Here's one close to home. True story. I used to be in a rock band back in the day, and we used to, we used to uh, gig in this place in County Kilkenny. Can anyone read that name? It's Greg Namana. Greg Namana, County Kilkenny. Oh, this one. That's an easy one. Yeah, Kilmaco. Yeah. Here's a good one. It's got, let's head down south to the People's Republic of Cork. What this one? Cobb. Corn to Cobbe. Cobbe. This is actually Cove. Interesting side note. If you ever look at the history of the Titanic, recently I was at an event in Liverpool and I was in a hotel called the Titanic Hotel and there's all these posters about the Titanic. And when you read like the, the last poster advertising the last voyage of the Titanic, it will say Belfast, Liverpool, and then it will say Queenstown. Now, if you Google Queenstown, it doesn't exist because when we got our independence as a republic, we changed the name of Queenstown back to its original Irish name, which, of course, is Cove. And Cove is much better than Queenstown, y'all. 
Neighboring, some of you missed it. Neighboring town right beside Cove is Yaw, not Yoghal. Have you know what Yoghal is? I don't. Now, those are complicated, but some of the names are just stupid. How about this little place in County Tipperary that's literally called Horse and Jockey? Every time I drive by this, I go, this is a national embarrassment. Like, I feel like we should come down and like, wipe the name off the sign and hide it so no one knows the truth. That someone actually named a place in Ireland Horse and Jockey. And do you know the most shocking thing about going to Horse and Jockey? When you go there, you won't find any. And if it couldn't get worse in County Tipperary, head down south and you come across this place. Come on. This is for the, all, the, all the smug Irish people. Oh, Drod, I know what it is. Come on, give it a go. It's very good. Ski in a rinky. There's no ice rinky in Ski in a rinky, but obviously someone got creative and got drunk with the name. Now, here's the last name. Don't put it up just yet. Here's the last name, and this one will absolutely blow your mind. Now, when I actually try to Google the meaning of this name, the meaning is uh, land on a hill in between two watery places near the coast. It's in County Galway, and here's what it's called. I mean, imagine this is your home address. Like, you'd need four more lines on the form. So it's like, Muk Anna Derda Haulia. Muk Anna Derda Haulia. It's easy. Muk. In fact, here's a little bit of insider knowledge. If ever you find yourself in doubt in Irish name, just say it as fast as you can and add in a few, and almost, almost certain... Oh yeah, I know County Galway. That's true. That's absolutely true. It's funny because names can either reflect the value of something through naming it properly or it can make us laugh at it because it's ridiculous. When we think about the name Lighthouse or Chuck Solis Osgoelaga, I told you last week that, that the reason why we chose this name, the reason we believe God gave us this name is because we are called to be a place of hope and help for the nations. That God has called us to stand bravely in the face of darkness, and to declare that despite our cultural moment, cultural trends, despite the, the popularity or lack of popularity of what we believe to be true, there is hope and there is help in the person of Jesus. And everything that we do, whether it's a connect group, whether it's outreach, whether it's international missions, even our services right now in Navin and Dock and Dublin, everything that we do has purpose. We're not just doing a meeting. When we gather as a church, we're not just gathering for a meeting just to do a service, just to be in church. No, we're part of a movement. God has called our church to, 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 to a mission, to a cause. And that cause is to inspire ordinary people to an extraordinary purpose in Christ. It's the little light in us. We've experienced God's goodness, God's grace, God's mercy, God's healing, God's power, God's restoration, redemption, and reconciliation. We want to make that available to other people because we believe deep down in the, in the, in the hunger of every human heart is the question, who am I, whose am I, and what am I supposed to be doing on this earth? And when we feed that, that question with, with egotism and selfish uh, you know, plans, Ultimately, we turn our lives inward, and a life that's lived for self and self only is a miserable life. But when we get hold of the fact that we have a Father in heaven who loves us and calls us and sent His Son for us, and that He has a plan and a purpose for our life, despite our brokenness, our ordinariness, our mundaneness, despite all the limitations on our lives, that we get to play a part in God's global movement on the earth to bring peace and restoration, all of a sudden it's like, wow, my life has 
meaning. We're told many times in Scripture that God calls us names, not bad names, but actually calls us things like son and daughter. And one day, for those who love, serve, and follow him, our names will be found forever to be in the Lamb's book of life. Names matter. And we are not just called a lighthouse as a cute metaphor for Christianity. We want to, we endeavor, we, we desire to be a lighthouse wherever we go which kind of sets the scene perfectly for the first message in this series. We're going to turn together to the uh, Gospel of Matthew, uh, like I mentioned earlier, and we're going to look at verse 14 to verse 16. I'll read the verses uh, with you, and then we'll go back through them. So again, all of today's notes are in the Bible app by you version. So in all three locations, if you have the Bible app by you version, click on more, click on events, and all of today's notes are there for you to track along. It says in verse 14, this is Jesus speaking Uh, to his disciples. He says, you are the light of the world, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, in the same, notice that, in the same way as light does this naturally, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So just take, take a moment for some context. So we know in the New Testament there's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The word gospel in Greek, euangelion, simply means good news. This is the eyewitness account of Jesus' first followers of the living out of the good news that we proclaim. Matthew personally knew Jesus. He was there. He literally was a, a first uh, instance witness of Jesus' life. And he is primarily writing his book to his own people, the Jewish people, trying to get them to see that Jesus is the one the Old Testament spoke about and promised. And in chapter 5, Jesus has this really incredible moment where he gathers all these crowds, it's called the Sermon on the Mount, and begins to teach. And some of us, depending on your religious background, perhaps grew up with what we call the Beatitudes. One of them which is, I mentioned, blessed are the peacemakers, for they should be called children of God. And what Jesus is saying is this, is, this is the kind of attitude that should characterize people who truly love God and follow him. And straight after that section, he then says, remember we uses two metaphors, salt and light, they're going to focus on light, that we are, as his followers, the light of the world. Now notice in verse 14, he doesn't say we have the light, or we know the light, or we live in the light. He says that we are, in essence, the light of the world. I don't know about you, but when I, when I read this, it challenges me. Because when I think about me, it's like, I know me. And I know the darkness that exists in me. I know the capacity I have to be selfish and sinful and evil. I, I, I live with daily the failures I have as a husband, a father, as a human being in the world. Simple things frustrate me which shouldn't. I, I, I try my best to get better and improve. And so often I end up in the, back in the exact same place and And it's so easy to fall into the trap of thinking, man, what do I have to offer the world? But what Jesus is saying is that even though we are like the light that we have within us as Jesus followers didn't begin in us. We didn't curate or create it. It was given to us when we opened our hearts to the Holy Spirit. And if you're a Jesus follower, if you're someone who's actively pursuing God and has put your faith and life and trust in him, there's this incredible thing that happens that when we give him our hearts, he fills us with his spirit. Therefore, wherever we go, we have the literal spirit of God living in us. 
And God cannot be contained. And God cannot be boxed. And God is not like a light switch that can be switched off whenever we conveniently need to hide Him from our friends, family, or world. The Spirit of God, the same Spirit we're told, that raised Jesus Christ the dead, lives in us. So our nature is changed. We don't carry the light, nor the light, pointed light. We are, in essence, the light. And what's so interesting is, Jesus used this little illustration, like a town built on a hill cannot be hidden, so should be our lives. And many, many years ago, in one of the locations we had in our Lavin location, as you come in the front door, we had a, we had a picture, uh, the picture of the lighthouse that kind of we named our church after, and then we had on the wall a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. And what's so interesting to me is that even though the years have gone by, and some of you remember that, that, that wall, you know, definitely Williamson's will, and... Uh, and to think about how many locations have come and gone, and even how many people have come and gone, but still our mission and vision remain the same. God has called us to be a lighthouse. But because lighthouse is not something we go to, it's actually in essence something that we are. What Jesus is saying, because you are the light of the world, you cannot be unlit. You cannot be unlit. Now, if you're not a Jesus follower, not a person of faith, that's cool. You can do whatever you want. You can come into the light, you can dance around the light, do the hokey pokey, turn around, go off the horse and jockey and have a picnic with your family. You can do whatever you want. But if you're a Jesus follower and the Spirit of God lives in you, there is no off button. There are no Venetian blinds. There is no curtain. There is no, don't come by my house Halloween night, I'm not home. Like there, there, You cannot stop the light of Christ within you getting out of you. All you can do is do a bad job of, of, of hindering it, which often confuses people. Think about the analogy of a torch. Uh, a torch. So if I'm holding a torch, I have the, I, I'm in possession of the, of the item, right? So I have the torch. But the torch is the torch. What he's saying is that our Christianity isn't a, a, a utensil or a tool or an accessory or a carry-on. It's not like a phone or an app or a sport, or a hobby. Our identity in essence is that if Jesus lives in us and he is the light of the world and the hope of the world, then we carry him in us wherever we go. And therefore, we should realize that as Jesus follows, our Christianity isn't just some, some additional extra, a widget in our lives, but actually it is, it is the, the recreation of our very, and reformation of our very identity. Now, I grew up with this, this, this uh, saying that, you know, your faith is personal. Your faith is personal. Your faith is private. And it's like, you know, I think about that over the years and then reading God's Word, I realize, no, no, our faith may be personal, but our faith can never be private. Because if your faith is the Christian faith as outlined in God's Word, then by definition, you have the light of God living in you. It's deeply personal. One of the most powerful things about having a relationship with God is that literally you have a relationship with God you sense his presence. You have the, the certainty and assurance that in all things, he's all-powerful, all-knowing. He's benevolent. He's loving. He's kind. He's slow to anger. He's faithful. And like we sang, he has never let us down. And I was just standing there today singing that song thinking, you know what? That's so true. 20 years I've been following Jesus. And 20 years, even though life has happened and things have been hard and things have not gone according to my plans very often, I can say with absolute certainty, God has never let me down. And all the hundreds and thousands of people that I know around the world, God has not let any of those guys down either. It's amazing. So we have this blessed assurance, this holy confidence, this, this sure foundation that we get to live with when we have a relationship with God. That's wonderful. It's personal. But it can't be private. 
Because that will eventually spill out into our lives in a way that is very public, and necessarily so, as Jesus said in verse 15. He says, because in the same way, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Just pause there. Now, what's he saying? He's saying, well, it would be st- back then, let me just backtrack, back then in the first century, people, the main mechanism for lighting a place at nighttime was, of course, candles or oil lamps. And some of you in this place may be old enough to remember both of those things. I won't point, point fingers, but someone beside you might. The point is this, uh, whether you live back then or saw it in a movie, it's like you go to all that effort. You know, it's like you lose electricity, all the effort of candles and you know, getting stands and getting, finding matches and some of you maybe still have oil lamps. Like, why would you go to all that effort just to cover it up? It makes no sense. Because in the, in, in the, one, in the one sense, it's a waste of the effort that went into making that light possible. And secondly, the purpose of light is to expel darkness so we can see and move. So why would you bother lighting a light and hiding it? It makes no sense. Instead, what do we all do? Good old-fashioned cop on. We light our light and we put it on a stand. Because again, if you've ever been camping or had to light a candle, if you put the candle on the floor, what happens? It only lights a very small part of the room. But if you can elevate that candle, the higher that candle goes, the more the room in which that candle is lit will be uh, lit. And, and, uh, and when we do that, it gives light to everyone in the house. It's true that the light within us cannot be unlit. However, if we're not walking in obedience with, with what God wants for our lives, we can try to make it unseen. So it may not be unlit, but we try to make it unseen. And I get it. It's hard sometimes, isn't it, in this world to be a Jesus follower. It's so much easier often to stay quiet, say nothing, let no one know nothing, you know, keep it to yourself, you know, don't, don't stick your neck out, like don't, you know, don't say anything. It's so much easier to do that. But, but every single time that I found myself challenged by God to share my faith with a person in public, every single time, what's amazed me is that even though I expect pushback and even though I expect rejection, oftentimes most people are very open and very hungry to hear the good news that has changed my life. For example, a few weeks ago I was uh, in uh, an airport and uh, predictably so, the airplane didn't go on time, which meant I'd spend all night in the airport. Anyone got any airport stories? We should all get together and write a book later on and sell it at Halloween, horror stories. But, um, but I was there and I was sitting waiting and beside me on, on, on the bench was this person who had mummified themselves in a blanket and were snoring very loudly. So I could know where else to go, so I'm sitting there and just working away, doing my stuff. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, after about like an hour and a half of sleeping, they sit up with a big, massive yawn, look beside me and go, oh, I didn't know you were there. I was like, it's grand. And she was like, uh, was I snoring? And I was like, like an angel. Angelic. You know, amazing. And her and her husband, this couple were like in their maybe mid to late 60s, uh, were there. They also were stranded. And so we're sitting down. She goes, oh, your accent, where are you from? And I said, I sure I'm from Ireland. Funny how he tells me in Ireland, you always add on the Irish, you know? Actually, I'm from Ireland. And she goes, okay. And the next question, of course, is, what do you do? Now, I don't know what you do for a living, but when you do what I do for a living, that question always becomes a crossroads of say something normal and acceptable. I'm a plumber. Uh, I'm a binman. Uh, whatever. Or tell them the truth and be prepared to go on a very long journey that might end up with your public humiliation. So I said, I'm a carpenter. No, I didn't. Uh, I said, I'm a pastor. 
And then literally the next thing out of her mouth was, oh, a pastor. And she goes, I'm so sorry. And I was like, thank you. you oddly enough, you empathize with, with, the, with the situation here. Like in Ireland, I tell you about pastors, they go, you're a plasterer? No, not really. I'm, I'm a pastor. So you plaster walls? No, I'm a pastor. So you're a priest? No. It's very hard to get Irish to get their head around what I do. Anyway, point is, in that moment, that opens up, of course, this massive conversation about faith and life. And it turns out she grew up in a church, but walked away in her 20s, like most people often do. And she felt like the church didn't have answers uh, for her questions. And, da, da, da. and so, you know, I'm sitting there, I'm Mr. Particle. I'm like, well, what are your questions? And she goes, what do you mean? I said, well, you're saying that the reason why you walked away from faith in Christ is because you had all these questions the church couldn't answer. I'm not saying I can answer them, but here, here's my iPad, I got a Bible. Let's go. Got five hours. Give me your questions. And so she came up with a re, the, what she thought was the most difficult, most sticky, most hairy question. And of course, uh, I, I was familiar with the, with the pushback, so I was able to you know, talk with her, show her some verses, get to the point that actually everything's about Jesus. And all of a sudden she's like, wow, all those years, and this was so easily resolvable. And I was like, yeah. And then I got to, got, got to speak into her life and share with her that, listen, God has a plan and purpose for you. And she shared me about how her marriage is struggling and family and different things. And her husband was there too, so it wasn't like I was talking to her alone. But you know, just in general, they were going through a very tough season. And, and I was able to figure out where she was from and tell her, I actually know a pastor, <laughs> not a pastor, a pastor in that town too. You should go to this church because they would love to help you. They exist. That church exists to help and serve people like you who are broken, far from God, maybe even angry at God. Don't be intimidated. Just go and, and talk to those people. And it was amazing because in that simple interaction, just not, not trying to hide my light. Not, I could have done a selfish thing, which I've done before. I'm not going to be dishonest. I mean, sometimes I have told people, like, uh, I work for a charity. And uh, don't judge me too loudly. Um, but I get it. But every time that we're brave and we allow the light to shine, it's amazing what God does. And again, I'm not dismissing the fact that there is a tension. I'm not dismissing the fact that sometimes there is an awkwardness. There is like a, a rejection. People don't like the light. It's almost like when, when I don't know if you've uh, ever had the experience of being hungover or going to wake up someone else who's hungover. Or even just someone who's had a long shift and you go into the bedroom and you open the curtains. Why? On a nice sunny day? And the person's like a vampire. Like, like I can't take this. You know, they're hiding themselves in their blanket because it's too painful, Right? And I get this, for some people, when they get into our presence and they see the light of Christ shining through us, they don't want to see it. And I want you to know something very important, especially if you're a Jesus follower. People reject the light not because of what's in you. It's not because they reject the light because you have the light. They don't reject it because it's the light of Christ. Very often people reject the light because of what's in them. Because the light confronts them with reality. The light, the, the, the light is a holy light. It's a pure light. It's the light of God. And like all oh, like what happens when we turn the light on? It reveals the worst. Like right now, in, in, uh, at least in our Dublin location, we're in a very dark cinema room. Now, I don't know if you notice about cinemas, but oftentimes cinemas are not known for being the most hygienic places. I've seen some pretty crazy things happen in cinemas. I won't list them in case you're squeamish. But I've seen some pretty crazy things happen in cinemas. Now, everyone in our Dublin location assumes the seat they're sitting on is clean. Because lights are off, there's no guarantee. Who knows what you're sitting on right now? All I can say is that we blessed every seat, poured holy water on it, but after that, it's up to you. We don't know. When the light comes on, it reveals the truth. It reveals everything. That's a very tough thing because it reveals the worst in us. And I remember when I first had my encounter with Jesus, there was this moment of like, oh my gosh, like 
I see and now I'm fully seen. But it wasn't like a judgmental, dismissing, rejecting kind of scene. It was like a loving, compassionate, empathetic, merciful scene. Almost like God wanted to be in my life and to love me and to show me purpose, even though I felt like I was disqualified because of all of my sin. The light reveals the worst, but the light also unveils the way. Because like a torch, like a lamp, like headlights, lights help us see the way. And Jesus said we are called as a lighthouse to be a people who don't, that don't hinder the, the light, but allow it to be visible so that people can see. And this light, we're told, is for everyone. And let me just quickly address a massive, and I've only got like one minute, a massive uh, political issue here, if I can. Um, the church loves everyone, right? But the church doesn't love everything. The church is for everyone, but church is not for everything. If you're doing something that is outside the remits of what God says in his word, then we, God says, this is the way, this is the truth, this is life. We cannot alter, compromise, or change what we believe to suit you and your lifestyle. But we're for you. And we love you deeply. I will accept you at any one of our locations. Everybody's welcome all the time. Nobody's perfect. And we know that when we get together in these kind of environments, with God's help and God's presence, anything is possible. Our light is to show the world there's a way to the Father. But it's not that we accept or celebrate or affirm everything. But we love and are for everyone. It's very important. Jesus continues in the last verse, verse 16. He says, in the same way, let your light shine before others. This really is the bedrock for the series where I'm going to spend the next two weeks. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. What's the main point? What Jesus said in essence is the light is already in you. You are like Christian. You don't have to put on a show. You don't have to act in a certain way. You don't have to pretend to be something you're not. Live out your faith with honesty, authenticity, and integrity and trust that the God within you will make himself visible to the world. Jesus is saying, let your light shine. Now what's really interesting is the word let in the English dictionary is defined as allowing, permitting, being. Do not actively hinder or hold back. Literally, to let means to show. What he's saying is that when we're on the bus, when we're in traffic, when we're on an airplane, in an airport, when we're in a shop, when we're in school, when we're in work, wherever we are, we, we, we should be recognizing the fact that God goes with us wherever. He's not an accessory that we turn on and turn off. His spirit lives within us. And that we don't have to try harder, work harder, earn, or try, or try make people become Christians. All we have to do is actively allow, permit, be, do not hinder or hold back. Just show the world the same love that has changed you can change anybody else. Which is really refreshing, isn't it? Because sometimes we feel guilt and pressure. Oh, we should be, we should be, we should be. We don't have to. Jesus is saying, people around you know. They know there's something different about you. Now, if, if you're a Jesus follower and you're not following Jesus, that creates confusion. Because on the one hand, they go, oh, I see something in you, but you're not living out the thing that you're supposed to be living out. That creates confusion for people, which, again, if that's done actively and dismissively, can be called hypocrisy. But most of us are just trying to live our lives as broken people. But even, again, people don't want perfection. Because if we were a perfect church, then how would anyone feel welcome? If we were a perfect church, why would we need God? People don't want perfection. They want authenticity. And when people see in our real struggles, in our real life, with the real things that we wrestle with, a real robust faith 
that has application in 21st century Ireland that makes sense and is an anchor to our souls. All of a sudden people realize, whoa, what is this thing that's in your life that grounds you and gives you hope and confidence and when you're broken or when you're arguing with your spouse, somehow re-centers you and reconciles you? What is that thing? Is it church? Is it religion? Is it regime? Is it, what is it? Is it your self-discipline? It's like, no, 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 no. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in me because I believe in the Son, Jesus, because the Father was so merciful to send him. See, faith oftentimes is a simple step. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said this way, faith is taking the first step even when you can't see the whole staircase. Here's the bottom line, and we'll close in a second. Jesus saying, let your light be seen so that others can see. Don't hinder, don't hold back, don't hide. Do not be ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. Listen, in this world where so many people are entitled to so many weird and wacky beliefs, I won't even list some because again, I hear my wife's voice about mine saying, just stop there. <laughs> in a world where there are so much wackies, listen, you are entitled to your belief. It's your belief. And even if others don't want to, don't, don't agree with it, don't welcome or accept it, it should not change the fact that you should not be ashamed of the Holy Spirit that lives in you. Nor do you have to religiously work hard to try to prove your worth to God by being perfect or being holy or being the Christian. All you got to do is live out your faith with God wisely and authentically. People will see, and when they ask, do not hide the light in your heart, but share with them the love of Christ. Let it be seen so others can see and glorify your Father in heaven. In other words, to put it in the Irish vernacular, what Jesus said to his church is, well, how's church? Keep her lit. Quote, you can quote me on that. Keep her lit. So very quickly then, shift gears, turn a corner. Practically, how do we do this? How do we keep her lit? Well, three things I want to share with you. Three ways we can keep her lit. Number one, we're told in the verse 16, in verse 16, that people will see our good deeds. So when we're actively serving people. What is a good deed? It's selflessly serving others. When we stand uh, back and allow someone else to enter a building, let someone else through in traffic, when we proactively volunteer to go do the errand that no one wants to do, when we're, when we're thinking about others and generous and coming back from the shop and buying someone lunch or, or if we're in a queue in, 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 in a Super Value and we just spontaneously pay for the person's groceries in front of us, or it's paying for the person's petrol, because whatever it is, wherever we are, whenever we're actively looking for opportunities to see other people, that is what a good deed is. We don't do good deeds to earn the love of God. We do good deeds because we have the love of God. And God's love works through us to change the world around us. And most people only care about themselves. And when you do something crazy like pay for someone's petrol or pay for their groceries or pay for their coffee, they, they won't know what to say. You, you're afraid of someone like argue with you? Just bless them financially and they will be speechless. And just say, Jesus loves you. And walk off. Especially if it's like the big ones, like the big caramel, yaki, yaki, things. A 10 euro yoke. You pay for one of those, like, you mean, this is, you're a prophet of God. Who does that? Yeah, that's not normal. That's not, that's not, that's out of the, it's extraordinary. Good deeds. What happens uh, when we as people, as neighbors, as friends, as siblings, work colleagues, as a church in our communities, what happens when we do good deeds over time? Well, that generates goodwill. Loving service repeated creates a positive reputation. I want, it's very important to me that wherever we are as a church, our name, our church has a good reputation. 
Now, I can't always control how other people talk about us, but I've always said from day one to the team, I want to make it difficult for people to speak badly about us. I want to make it hard for people to speak negatively because I want them to see our heart and our generosity and our love for our communities. And when over time with your neighbor, your classmate, your work colleague, you're doing good deeds and you generate goodwill, eventually you will open up the opportunity to good news. The problem is if we start here with no goodwill, no good deeds, it's like trying to feed a baby broccoli. They don't want it. And they know you've mixed it up with carrots and potatoes. They've got this weird like sixth sense. They can, they can smell the broccoli. I don't have an answer for that. I don't know how you do that. So maybe someone else can help us afterwards. But the point is this. When we do good deeds, goodwill, it's almost like people are open to the broccoli. They're op- they may not love the thing yet, but they're open to hearing the thing that can help them and bring them hope. And I want to be a church. I want all of our locations, in Dock location, Navin location, Dublin location. I want to be a church. That it's who we are. We just do good deeds. We're, we're happy to serve. We're, we want to be generous. We want to bless our community. And over time, I want people to you know, speak well of us, and I want that to open up opportunities where we can share the good news. Let me finish with a story. A couple of years ago, in our Navin location, we uh, were doing some community work where we'd reach out to various centers in our community that were doing great work. And our thing was, we, won't, we don't want to come and do the same work you're doing. You're already doing it. We want to get behind you and serve you and celebrate you. So we'd go around to these centers and we'd say, hey, what do you need? You know, we don't have a lot, but we have people who are going to take time. People would take time off work to, in the summer to go and paint or clean or work or whatever it was, garden, these different community centers. It was amazing. And sometimes we could even raise some money to pay for stuff. And one year, I went to the center and it was, it was kind of like a quasi-government funded place. So it was kind of, you know, typically uh, bureaucratic in terms of its organization. And so we were talking to the manager on the ground. He was like, oh man, this and this and this and this. And if you could do this and so much work needs to be done. And we're like, okay, we can't promise we'll do all of it, but we'll try our best. And so I rallied the team. I told them this is what the scenario is and, and so on. And they had no money and they couldn't help us. So we prayed and we we said, we're going to do this. So we ended up raising some money. We're in there. We did everything. Everything on the list and some more. We just, we just went over and above in our serving and loving and blessing those people. Afterwards, when they came back, the managers were like, well, they're, they're shocked. It's like, what can we do? And I said, nothing. He's like, well, can we pay you? He said, no. And he actually pulled money out of his own pocket, his own personal pocket, because he was so overwhelmed with the generosity of our church. I said, no, no, this is the grace of God. You don't earn it because God's already given it to you. We just want to show in practical acts of kindness what God has already done to send the Son Jesus on the cross. We're not, we're not hiding our faith. We're doing it because of our faith, which is amazing. And uh, it's a very tough thing to watch a grown man break down in tears because he's unable to answer the kindness of God. Well, fast forward the clock a few weeks later and I get a phone call and it's the same person. He goes, hey, would you be available to pop into my office tomorrow? I want to talk to you. And I said, absolutely. So I saw him by the place, into the office. And there in his office was all these different people, other managers, a reporter, a local politician. I'm thinking, oh, hang on, what's going on here? <laughs> oh, you know. And uh, so I'm kind of trying to figure out what's happening and, and whatever. And I sit down and he goes, look, uh, basically the reason why we asked you to come today is because you did all this work for us. Your church, your people, took time off work, gave money, served. Everything was done with excellence. You were so pleasant. You were so kind under pressure. And you told me that this is the gospel. I said, yeah. And he goes, okay, so I've invited all my friends here because I want you to tell us what is the gospel? I'm sitting there going, 
this is kind of weird. And so for the next hour, I share with them the good news of a Jesus who loves, a Jesus who lives, and a Jesus who liberates, that he is the only hope for humanity. It was insane. And it showed me that we're, that we're trapped sometimes into believing that people don't want faith, don't want God, don't want, and if we speak, they'll reject. But oftentimes people, people are hungry and searching for answers. And we don't have to stretch or, or push or over, overdo it. All we have to do is let our light shine, and God will do it.